All right, let's turn our Bibles to the book of uh, if, uh, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to talk about the encourager in honor of Father's Day. Um, and I want to start with a story about a Bible professor I had in Bible college, uh, Dr. Ron Hawkins. He was actually on loan from uh, Liberty University in, in Virginia. And uh, did I hear a Liberty person out there? You were? Really? Do you know Don? Do you know Ron Hawkins? Anyway, he, uh, he was the dean at that time of counseling, and he did a ton of counseling. He listened to untold damage uh, of stories and, and people who end up bruised and forsaken and, and really spiritually crippled. And he, so one day out of all this, he goes, listen, uh, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, Try starting with the gift of encouragement. You know why? We could all use some. And so this morning we're going to talk about encouragement. You know what encourages me is watching people encourage other people, watching believers encourage other believers, and in particularly dads. North Shore Fellowship dads are awesome. All right? I've gotten to see it firsthand, whether it's early Sunday morning setting up all the chairs and stuff with dads and their cakey or tearing down after church, dad's in their cakey, or just doing wood projects with them. And I, I, I've been amazed. I, I have to step back. I am not kidding. I step back, and, and I think I have these words like, uh, I see love from dad to child. Uh, I see patience, support, protection, but especially this morning, I see encouragement. I am blessed by the dads in this church, okay? Now, it gave me hope for the future, not only of this church, but of America. So here's a couple of scriptures on hope. The first one is from 1 Corinthians 13, 7, and I need to give you a heads up. This verse is for people in this room. Might be one, might be more. This is your sermon today, these four words. After this, you can take a nap. We'll wake you up before we leave. Love hopes all things. And you go, what is that supposed to, how, how, what do we do with that? Love hopes all things. Well, it means that in spite of all that's going on in this world, you have hope because you're abiding in love. You have hope that God's in control. God's going to do something good. Now, for Father's Day, there's been a, this attack on masculinity. Uh, I, I see actually a demonic, satanic attack on God's creation. Genesis tells us in the beginning, God created man and woman, male and female, two genders. I see a tremendous attack against God's creation. And they're saying, oh, when a man is simply a man, they're going, oh, masculinity now is toxic. It's evil. But then there's femininity is also on the attack. If you haven't already seen uh, Matt Walsh's video, What is a Woman? I highly recommend it. In it all, if you've seen it, you're laughing already. Uh, when you watch, you're not sure if you should laugh or cry because it's, it's kind of pathetic. So he flies all over the country and up into Canada, and he simply asks the question, what's a woman? You just used it in your answer to me. What do you, how do you define that? And so he asks college professors. He asks psychiatrists. He asks, um, he asks women who are at a march for women, and he asks these women, what's a woman? And everybody freaks out. Some of them tear off their microphone. This interview's over. Like, it's a big trick question. So finally, at the end of the show, at the end of the video, 
Somebody goes, what's a woman? Marry one, and you'll find out. And he goes, oh, I should ask my wife. So it shows him flying home. And at dinner time, he asks his wife, hey, so what's a woman? She looks at him, an adult female. Now set the table for dinner. But again, you go, do I laugh or cry? We're in a society that does not know the difference between a man and a woman. As I'm watching this, I'm thinking of two verses. In Romans, professing to be wise, they became fools. They think they're so progressive. They're fools. That's what the Bible calls them. Then another one in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11. This is on, on the end times. And just, just describing the end times, God's, God's word says, because they did not receive the love of the truth, they won't be saved. What's the love of the truth? We're created male and female. We're created in, in the image of God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need God's forgiveness that's only available in Jesus Christ. I receive the love of the truth. End times, they won't. And it says, therefore, God will give them over to a spirit of delusion. They won't get it, and they'll be believe the lie, of course, from Antichrist himself. So here's another scripture on hope. I love this one. Look at this title. Now may the God of hope, when you read that, don't you go, that's who I want to serve? That's who I just sang to? That's who I just worshiped? The God of hope. And may he fill you with all joy and peace and belief. Can you find fault with that verse? This sounds like a wonderful place to be. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. I love this. By the power of the Holy Spirit. So according to this, hope can bring encouragement. See, if I'm full of hope, if I get my hope from the Holy Spirit, I have something to pass on to you, and that can be encouraging. Now, according to this verse, though, hope is directly linked to my relationship with God's Holy Spirit. All right, now with that, there's two verses we want to cover on encouragement. The first you've already turned to it, Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Fathers, this is Father's Day. Fathers, don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Now, what discourages people? So one writer said this, pretty thorough. What discourages people? Being too harsh, too demanding, too controlling, being unforgiving, or just plain angry. Don't tell dad, he's a volcano, he'll go off at any time. You know, now I'd like to add something to that. Withholding words of encouragement. Just come on, encourage them. Here's another one. Here's the other verse this morning. Ephesians 6, verse 4. We're going to go back to Ephesians to cover, to do an overview of how to encourage, okay? You, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Leave it up to the mom. To, no, it doesn't. No, moms can't provoke either. And kids, don't provoke parents. I mean, we're, we all think we have the gift of provoking, but uh, don't provoke your kids to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Maybe you've heard this guy say, I just love this. I'm not raising kids, one father said. You raise goats or pigs. I'm training my kids to be adults. See, here's a dad with vision for 20, 30, 40 years down the road. I'm doing more than raising, I'm training my kids to be adults. So dads, 
Don't exasperate your kids. Now watch this. It's a warning uh, against a misuse of legitimate authority. You're the parent. They're the kid. They're not your best friend. That happens many years in the future, but right now, don't confuse things. You're the parent. You're the one of authority. They're the kids. So when, you, when there's a mix-up going on, the bottom line is always, who's in control? So don't have, now while you're supposed to be in control, don't have a misuse of that authority, but at the same time, you're called to be salt and light in their lives as well. I love this verse in Proverbs. Maybe you know it, 1821. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Now, those are opposites. Saying, man, you could do polar opposites with the same tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So wait, uh, what do you mean death? How do I speak words of death? You hear it all the time. It's so stupid. You were a mistake. I never wanted you. You'll never amount to anything. Those are words of death. Might as well take a knife. Oh, just, just kill me. Words of death. Well, what's words of life? I love you. A lot of kids don't hear that. I was fortunate. My dad was full-blooded German. Didn't tell me a lot about love. But the last three words I heard from his lips on the phone, I love you. That's powerful stuff. Other words of life. I am so blessed that God gave me you. I'm so proud of you. I, I see great things in your future. I mean, those are words of life. And I want to eat that kind of fruit. Now, don't be a nag. Perpetual fault finder. That, that causes uh, exasperation. So for, for Father's Day, suppose that today you have a five-year-old son. And for Father's Day, he found a coloring book and He's, he drew you a picture. He colored in the lines and cut out the page. and get, Here, happy Father's Day. Don't go and go, you colored outside the lines. What were you thinking? That's, that's a bit nag. That's a bit asking too much. That's a fault finder. Instead of, you did this for me? Are you kidding? How did you? The colors are amazing. It's all black. But it's just amazing. Just, uh, here you go. Bad behavior in a child can be provoked by a, a, an adult. This is the idea of the verse. When he's saying, don't do it, it's implying that a lot of people do it. And then you see this bad behavior in a kid. It could be because the parent exasperated them. But at the same time, that doesn't excuse the kid's bad behavior. It just might explain it a bit. Provoked kids can grow up to think the whole world's against them. Well, that's not what we want. We want them to be more than conquerors. So then it says in Ephesians, bring them up, and it means to follow me. Now, this is interesting. It's lead by example. You don't say, do what I say, not what I do. You know, you go to church, but I'm going to stay home and watch football. You don't do that. So here's the example of Solomon. Solomon, the king, the guy who wrote most of Proverbs to his son, probably Rehoboam, his first, firstborn son. So often you hear in Proverbs, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. My son, and he's always, he's saying, guys, I don't want you to do every mistake I did. I love you. I want God's best for you. And so is his father's love for his son. But yet, Solomon messed up. 
If you know anything about this guy, when he first took over, he's King David's son with Bathsheba. When he first took over, God appears to him. Remember that? And God says, ask him, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Wow. He said, Lord, give me wisdom. Go, okay, I'll give you wisdom. No man on earth will have wisdom like you. This is the Solomon who built the first, that temple that was absolutely glorious, probably back then a billion dollars worth. I mean, just insane, crazy. This is the guy that when they dedicated the, the temple, he prayed and God's presence was manifested to the point the priest couldn't even stand up anymore. It's so heavy with the presence of God. I just got to sit down. That's the same Solomon. So how did he blow it? Because at the end of his life, he's not known for the guy that God appears to. He's not known as the guy that, you know, builds temples that you can't even stand up in. And the presence of God is so powerful. He's known as a backslider. He, he's known as leading the nation Israel into a backslide. And, and, oh, now we worship Molech. And now we worship all the... And he actually builds temples to these foreign gods and has crazy... It just leads the entire nation. You go, how? How do you do that? How do you go from my son, my son, to, ugh, he's known as a backslider. I don't know where he is in eternity. He messed up in relationships. If you're familiar, God said, okay, as a king, you marry one woman. She's got to be of Jewish descent. Nobody else. And he, then he says, why? If you marry a foreign woman who worships other gods, she will eventually cause you to fall. One of the first things Solomon did when he became king, he thought, in wisdom, I found a way where I can disobey God and make it look like wisdom. You ever do that? It's not wisdom. He said, okay, I know I'm supposed to marry you, but I'm going to marry Pharaoh's daughter, you know, the king of, of Egypt. I'm going to marry his daughter as a political alliance. It's brilliant. And so he's not going to fight me because I'm married to his daughter. And then that started something where he did it again and again and again. And as God's word promised, it took 30, 40 years, but the seed was sown. And as Jesus said, wisdom is vindicated by her children. Wisdom is like a seed that you plant. Good or bad? Well, that seed's going to give birth to a kid who's going to grow up in 20 years, and then we'll know if that was a really good decision or a really bad decision. So he marries this girl, then marries more. You know, he had like a 1,000 women. The sad thing is, at the end of his life, he fell big time and led more people with him. Don't tell me, oh, my sin doesn't affect anybody. Think of Solomon. And he had great advice for his son, but he didn't carry it out himself. So I have this thing. Are you a critic or a coach? And I need to read to you this guy's testimony that I found. Critic or coach. This guy's name is Jim Burton. He said these words about being a father. When I was young, baseball was my life. You can imagine my excitement when my oldest son began playing baseball. The game would be our main bonding mechanism. If my son would just listen, <laughs> I could help him become a great baseball player, learn to read the curveball as it's pitched, shift his body weight as he's swinging for the home run, 
how to steal bases, turn a double play. These things separate the amateurs from the pros. But a pattern developed in our relationship because, my, because of my familiarity with the game, I saw every mistake my son made. In addition, I knew how to correct those mistakes. So after the game, the drives home became a critique of everything he, he needs to improve in his game. It soon got old for my son, so one night he finally said, Dad, could you not start by telling me everything I did wrong? Tell me something I did right. You're a critic or a coach. So here's how to be an encourager. Ephesians chapter 5 says this. Don't be drunk with wine. And why would he say that? Is he against wine? No. Jesus drank wine. It, it's, you're not, you're fine. You can drink a glass of wine if you're of age. I mean, that's not what the thing is. He's addressing the Ephesians. The Ephesians worship the god Bacchus, the god of wine. And man, would they have some parties. They'd get drunk and have the biggest debauchery. In They'd have parades. It was wacko. And he's saying, Christian, what are you doing living like the world? There should be a huge distinction. What are you doing joining their party? What are you doing joining that debaucherous feast? There should be a distinction. Don't be drunk with wine like the rest of them. Don't settle for cheap imitation. You see, the idea is like, I, I, I'm empty. I need something. And here's something from the outside coming on the inside. And it'll give me joy and peace and blessings. So don't settle for that cheap substitute. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Yes, you need something from the outside. It's the Holy Spirit. He will, as you bring him in, he'll give you love, joy, peace, kindness, all these things that you're really looking for. So don't settle for the cheap substitute. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the thing is, it affects every relationship. So just, I'm going to do a mental overview of that. So in chapter 5, it's saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit. How do, how do you do that? You don't, you don't have to convince God that you need his Holy Spirit. You know, oh God, I really need, he knows. He's thinking, finally, <laughs> yes, just ask. If, if a kid asks for a, a sandwich, you're not going to throw him a snake, right? He just, he knows what you need. We just need, Lord, just fill me. I read about it in your book. I, I see it in the book of Acts. I want this. Then once I'm filled with the Spirit, in which I like to pray every morning, it affects every relationship starting with my heart. So later in chapter 5, it says, you know, you're going to be singing and making melodies in your heart. You're going to have a thankful heart. So the first, when I see a thankful person who's singing and stuff, oh, I should suspect they might be filled with the Spirit. If they're not thankful and not singing, mm, something's wrong according to Ephesians 5. But the first relationship, it affects is me. It's my heart. The second relationship is my marriage. So it goes into be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, and then wives be subject to husbands love as Christ loved it. That's the hard one. Find a husband who loves you the way Christ loved the church. The next one in chapter 6, it goes into the relationship with your kids. Don't exasperate them. And it ends with relationships on the job. So in their term, it was servants, 
But now it's just, man, it goes from my heart to my, my other relationships, kids, work, to where it finally says, love with faith. Now, here's the deal. Ephesians 6, you go, how do you, how do you love in faith? Anybody remember a song by Natalie and Ruglia? I'm all out of faith. This is how I feel. Sorry to butcher that, but nobody remembers that song? Okay. It was a big hit, my daughter remembers. Okay. But that, that's the exact opposite of this verse. Natalie, we go, I'm all out of faith. This is how I feel. I'm being real. No, you're not. You're out of faith. This Bible says love in faith. What does that mean? That you don't give up. That you don't give up. So when you're, may never happen, the teenage daughter says, Mom, I'm pregnant. It's what my wife did just out of high school. Or when your son says, hey, Dad, I know I'm supposed to fly from Daytona to Maryland to be with you for Christmas today, but the cops got me last night. That's what I did. That's when they need you. That's when they need you the most. That's when in your flesh you want to go, I'm all out of faith. This is how I feel. No, 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 no. Love in faith. At that point, you go, I know that God is not done yet. I know this is a divine opportunity to shower you with love and shower you with affection and believe, even if it's going to take years. I'm for you. I'm for you. I'm for you. My son's in prison. He, uh, when he was 15, it was unbelievable how... He was trying everything to get kicked out of our house, and I was ready. I was looking for ways to kick him out. It was just really hard. And he'd come in my face, come on, Dad, come on, Dad, kick me out. And, and trust me, in my flesh, get out. And I would just say, son, I love you. I'm committed to you. I want God's best for you. And he'd go, doggone it. <laughs> he was so bombed that I loved him. Since then, he'll call me from prison just crying and saying, Dad, thank you for loving me. Say the same thing to Karen. Do you love in faith? Or do you just sing the song, I'm all out of faith, this is how I feel. Anybody can sing that. But the, the idea is being filled with spirit. It affects my heart. It affects my relationships with everybody. And then I love you in faith. It's the idea. I know it's rough right now. I know it's crazy. I know there's mistakes. But you know what? I'm here. I love you. And I want to see this through. So, love and faith. Here's three levels of spiritual growth for your dad's especially for your dads. Now, this is what we're doing in Ohana groups. We just covered this last week. So it's from First, uh, first John chapter 2. The first one is little children. So this is the first step. This is like kindergarten, spiritual kindergarten. Little children, how do you know that? Well, you know your sins are forgiven for his namesake. What does that mean? If you're here this morning, you're not sure your sins are forgiven, you are perpetually stuck in kindergarten. You haven't even gotten to first grade. You maybe get, oh man, I blew it again last night. I think I'm going to hell. And this purgatory. It's no purgatory. But the thing is, you're going through all this stuff because you haven't just 
I'm done. Jesus said it is finished. That works for me. And if you don't know you're forgiven, you're still in kindergarten. And you need to get beyond that to where you go, all right, I know how I feel, but I know what his word says. His word says it is finished. Accounting term means paid in full. So, dads, if you've never been forgiven, it's available only in Jesus Christ. And it's called grace. It's by grace you've been saved. Through faith. It's not a good works, lest anyone boast. It's through him. Now, it's amazing, that verse. It's not a good works, lest we boast. Imagine heaven if you and I worked real hard to get there. It'd be so boring. All we do is talk to try and outdo each other. Well, this is what I did to get here. This is what I did. Instead of, I'm here by the grace of God. I'm just as surprised as you are that I ended up here. It's, it's available only through Christ, guys. And it's simply a prayer. Even right where you are right now. Okay, Lord, I'm yours. Please forgive me. Second step is young men. So now we're getting older. And young men, you're strong, he says. You're victorious over the evil one. And he says, why? Because the word of God abides in you. It's not a big secret how to have victory over the devil. Jesus showed us every time the devil would half quote a scripture. Then the Bible say, and Jesus would say, it is written, it is written, it is written. Hey, that's what Jesus did. That's what you and I need to do. So here, uh, it's one thing to know you're forgiven, but don't you want to grow? Because this kind of growth for young men is on purpose. It's getting the Word of God into your being. It's more than just a token verse in the morning. It's, man, I want to get into the Word. I want to digest it. I want to devour it. Devour it. The thing is, it, it, this is how you grow. Now, if you've been a Christian for 20 years, you should know this. You should be pressing on in this. If you're thinking, I'm still struggling with whatever, could it be the lack of input? The lack of just, God, I don't feel anything right now, but I want to get in your word. Give me a love for your word right now when you open it up. Because this growth is on purpose. The word of God abides in you. You're strong. So if you're not growing here, it's your fault. I'm not doing that to shame you. This is what the Word is saying. Finally, it's to the, to the fathers. You've known him. You've grown. It's like the songs we were singing. I'm serving the God of Mary. I'm serving the God. Just all that. I'm watching and just all those words. I'm just loving this song. And I'm going, yes, amen. I messed up this week, but I'm still serving the God of hope. I did this, I'm still with him, and he's still with me. And so it's the fathers who can testify. Fathers of the faith can include females too, in that sense. But it's the idea that I've been through trials. I failed, but God never failed. Remember Samuel at the end of his life? Not one word of the Lord fell to the ground. Not one word failed. God did exactly what he said he would do. And so here's the fathers when it's total chaos going around and everybody's in an uproar. The father goes, you know what? God's in control and it's so soothing, so peaceful.
so blessed. God's a perfect Heavenly Father, right? He's got a lot of wayward kids. <laughs> it's so easy to feel condemned in this area. Oh, my son is backslidden. My wife is... Hey, look at God. Perfect Heavenly Father. Now, here's a, this story is amazing. Paco from Mexico and his dad were at odds for years. And the dad initiates reconciliation. He's the father of the faith. He initiates. So he puts in a full-page ad. I think it's in the Madrid Sun-Times, one of those. And this full-page ad says, Paco, I love you. I want you to come home. I forgive you. Then he goes, I'll meet you tomorrow in the park across the street from the newspaper office hoping Paco will show up. The next morning, in that park, 800 young men named Paco showed up, each one hoping it was their dad that wants to forgive. It was their dad that wants reconciliation, wants to initiate love. So we, we started with this, we'll end with this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. Guys, the whole idea, if I'm going to be an encourager, if I'm going to give hope, I need to know this God of hope. I need to receive his daily provisions, his new, new mercies every morning. That's what makes me or that's what makes you an encourager. If you haven't already, we talked about three steps of growth. Receive his forgiveness. His promises aren't for everyone except you. Grow in the word. It's not a big secret. And you probably won't want to. You're probably looking for a time that you feel overwhelmed to read the word. It might not happen. That's why it's called a discipline. But you want to become that father of the faith where, yeah, it's chaotic, it's crazy, it hurts, but you can recite the God of wonders. He's in control, even now.